Blackstone. I want to invite you to join me in Luke chapter 13 today as we begin a new series of messages on the parables entitled, Where Hope Meets Life. Where Hope Meets Life. You'll find some uh, journey group notes and questions in your power line. I hope that you'll pull those out. Got some wonderful, thought-provoking uh, questions for your quiet time this week. And I think it will produce some great uh, discussion as our journey groups begin meeting this week. Very excited about that. Looking forward to spending time with uh, some more journey groups over the course of the fall as we've been hosting uh, groups at our house. Having an opportunity to spend time with all the groups is something that's important to Lyle and me. And we've enjoyed that and we're looking forward to uh, perhaps having your group in our home this fall. Uh, but you'll find an area there to jot down some notes. I also want to ask for you to do me a favor if you're open to it. Many of us I know have Facebook pages, and we connect with our family and friends and even our church family on uh, our Facebook page and kind of keep up with what's going on in the lives of those around us. But I want to ask you to, to join me in doing something over the course of our study through the parables. That little banner that you see at the top of your notes that you pulled out of your power line um, is a banner that actually is on our Cornerstone Facebook page. <clears throat> if you've never been to that page, I hope that you'll go to our Cornerstone page and keep up with what's on there. Um, like the page would be awesome if you haven't liked it already. But every Sunday, we're going to have a new banner that reflects the main idea of the parable that we study that week. And here's what I want to ask you to do. I want to ask you to copy that off of our Cornerstone page and make it your banner of your personal Facebook page for at least a few days of the week. And here's why. Uh, first of all, if you're like me, you have a lot of folks that you're friends with on Facebook that don't know the Lord yet and are at different places in their spiritual journey. Well, they're going to see that you've changed your banner and they're going to look at it and they're going to read it. And it's something that God can use for good in their life spiritually. Uh, may even open up an, an opportunity or an avenue for some dialogue about the truth as well. Secondly, uh, it will get word out amongst your Facebook friends of, of what we're studying here at Cornerstone and what the principle is. And then if you actually make a comment about it on your wall, something that the Lord taught you through this, um, it's another way that we allow what God's teaching us to have an impact in hundreds of folks that we connect with all the time anyway. It's easy to do. You just go to the the cornerstone page, you right-click on the banner, save it to your desktop or save it to your documents, then go back to your Facebook page, click edit banner, click on that, upload it. It'll fit perfectly. It won't mess with your uh, profile pic. Everything will, will work really good for you. So we've got that all ready to go. Just another neat way that we can continue to get the message of the gospel out uh, to those that we are involved in relationship with. Well, for the next uh, couple of months, we're going to be working through the parables, and I'm very excited about this study, looking forward to all that we're going to learn in our own spiritual journey as a result of, of these stories. Keep in mind, when Jesus was on earth and he was teaching, traveling from place to place, sharing the message of the kingdom, um, he was speaking to folks who, though literate, lived in a very oral culture. That is to say, they couldn't pull out their iPhone and click the voice recorder and, you know, tape what Jesus was saying to listen to later 
They couldn't pull out their iPad and go to their Uversion app and open up and find the Old Testament reference Jesus was talking about at the moment. Didn't have that. Couldn't pull the old papyrus scroll out, right, and jot down some notes like we're able to do in our day and age. So as Jesus taught, he taught in a way that really resonated well with people in oral culture. And one of the things that he did to help with that was he used parables. Parables are, are stories. They're they're illustrations from everyday life that the people could really relate to because they were part of their own cultural understanding. But here's what Jesus did. He took those very ordinary examples and he just infused them with wonderful spiritual truth. And the truth that he talked about was the truth of the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? How do you become a part of the kingdom of God? And what are the expectations for those who have chosen to become a part of the kingdom of God? That's still great stuff for us today. In fact, I think this series has the potential to be very transformative in all of our lives. So as we get ready to look at our first parable today, the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven, let's ask God to bless our time of the Word. Father, thank you so very much for the privilege that we have to be here as worshipers today. We bring glory to you, Father, because you alone are worthy of glory and praise and adoration. And we celebrate your amazing work of transformation in our, in our hearts where you take dead people and you make them alive and then you do beautiful things through them for your glory. Thank you for that. Father, thank you for the teaching of your son, Jesus, that we have for us in our Bibles, that you have preserved supernaturally for us so that we can know you. And Father, I pray as we look at these parables that Jesus used to paint a picture of the kingdom and kingdom residents, that you would really use them to do a searching work in our lives and in our hearts. Father, we may grow every day closer and closer to you and more and more effective in sharing the good news of the kingdom. So we pray that you'd speak to us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we read the Gospels, we find Jesus traveling, proclaiming news of the kingdom. And as we pick up where our text begins in Luke 13 today, at verse 18, we see Jesus answering a question that's been asked to him. Now, Jesus, he taught very much like I'm teaching today in most instances. It was very informal. He taught in back alleys and side streets, sometimes talking to a Pharisee in the night, like Nicodemus, sometimes stopping under a tree to talk to a tax collector like Zacchaeus, sometimes stopping by a well to get a drink and meeting a woman coming to draw water. Very personal, very conversational. Jesus talked with people. I don't think Jesus talked at people. Sometimes he talked to larger groups. We find him teaching in houses. In fact, one time there was a, he was teaching in a house, probably sitting very much like I am now, and the crowd got so big that some friends who were trying to get their sick 
paralyzed buddy to Jesus, couldn't get him, get him in for the crowd. And so they, they went up on the roof and they pulled the thatch roof apart so they could drop him down through the ceiling. Other times, Jesus taught in unique ways. You remember the time he had to get in a boat? There were so many people pressing up on him at the beach that he just, he finally got out in the boat and they rowed him off the shore a little bit so he could have some, <laughs> some breathing space and could talk with the folks who had gathered there. Jesus is probably in the midst of one of those types of settings and conversations when he's asked this question. What is the kingdom of God like? Because after all, Jesus came teaching about the kingdom all the time. He was, he was initiating the kingdom of God. He's proclaiming the kingdom. He's talking about the kingdom of God. And so one of them asked the question, what, what is the kingdom of God like? And then Jesus, at the start of this verse, does kind of like we do. Have you ever done that? Somebody asks you a question before you answer the question, you say the question again. Kind of like gives you time to get your thoughts together to answer the question. And so as verse 18 he begins by saying, he said, hmm, what is the kingdom of God like? What, what should I compare it to? And he's reflecting on that. And then he gives this parable. He says, it is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. And it grew and became a tree. And the birds of the air made their nests in its branches. And again he said, well, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It's, it's like leaven, or we would say yeast, that a woman took and she hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. He takes these two simple illustrations and he says, let me tell you what it's like. It's, it's going to start small like a mustard seed. If you Google mustard seed, you'll see somebody holding it in their fingers. You can barely see the seed. It's so small. What you'll also find is pictures of mustard trees. <laughs> They're big. That little bitty seed can produce a huge tree, big enough for birds to rest in, big enough for birds to make their nests in. It's going to start small, like a small little bit of yeast that a woman would mix into flour to begin the process of baking bread, to let that fermenting process begin that will let the bread rise so that it can be cooked and, and is good to eat. It's like that. It's going to start small, but it's going to grow. And it's going to grow, and it's going to grow fast. And one day, the kingdom of God will cover the earth. We know eschatologically Jesus be referring to the time when he actually rules and reigns on earth. And the kingdom of God is visibly seen on earth as Jesus has promised. But he said between now and then there's going to be this slow and steady growth process. You know what else the kingdom of God is like? It's transformative. It's transformative. That flower, once it has that yeast, and it transforms into some really good bread. Can't you smell some hot homemade bread in your mind right now? Can't you just envision that? Mm. Yum. He said the kingdom of God is like that. It's like that tree. It's going to change from that little bitty seed in this big tree where the birds can rest and roost. He says, you know what else the, the kingdom of God is? It's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. That tree, it's beautiful. That bread is beautiful. That's what the kingdom of God looks like. Now, I don't have never seen, personally, I don't think a mustard 
tree. Seen pictures of them. Pretty neat. I have seen some awesome bread. I love some of that. Isn't it a shame we don't make homemade bread much anymore? It's kind of a shame, isn't it? We should have like homemade bread week. Here's what I want you to do. <laughs> I want some of you to make bread this week and I want a piece. But, I, but even if I don't, I want you to like put that loaf of bread when it comes out of the oven on your Facebook page wall and you just everybody will die. They'll be like, wow, that's awesome. Here's something I can relate to. I can relate to uh, an illustration of morning glories. Y'all know what morning glories are? As a flower, aren't aren't I know it's a weed? Don't look. How many of you have seen a morning glory? Think they're pretty? Aren't they? Man, aren't they beautiful? Let me tell you, they're pretty in a picture, and they're pretty in your yard. And I want to tell you, my poor little blueberry patch this summer has just been overrun with with morning glories, and they just look so beautiful, right? And I'm telling you, they're so wrapped up. That's the fastest growing vine I've ever seen in my life. But you know, when I see morning glory, I think about, I think about this kind of illustration. I think about the kingdom of God grows. It's transformative. It's beautiful. It can't be stopped. It's like kudzu like that. It's going to do what God says it'll do. And Jesus said, this is what the kingdom of God, this is what it looks like. It is awesome. Now, as we continue to read, we're going we're gonna to see that the Bible says that he went on his way, and he's going through towns and villages. He's teaching, and he's journeying towards Jerusalem. And we understand he's teaching the kingdom of God these very things, and maybe even using some of these parables repeatedly in his teaching to help people grasp what the kingdom of God is like. And I envision that as Luke is writing this, he's, he's thinking of a specific incident. Where Jesus has taught this. And then comes the follow-up question. To me, I think it's the most logical question there is to follow up with. Right? You've told me what the kingdom of heaven is like. Well, how many people are getting into the kingdom of God? Luke writes the question like this. Someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? How many people are going to get into the kingdom? Jesus' response is pretty, is pretty interesting, isn't it? He uses another illustration. And notice what he says. He says, Strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Strive to enter. Now, those verses, when I hear them, remind me of some other verses. You might want to jot them down. They're in Matthew 7. They're in... Matthew's account of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus uses this illustration in that sermon as well. And here's what he says in Matthew 7, 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Jesus says, strive to enter through the narrow door. Now that word strive is really interesting. It's used a number of times in the New Testament. If you do a search on that word, you're going to find the word as it is in the form here, agonizomai. Agonizomai. We get an English word from that that's pretty easy to figure out, isn't it? It's the word agony. 
And it's used often by Paul to refer to the agony that athletes put themselves through in order to be prepared to compete to win an Olympic prize. Now, I've never been an Olympian. I don't think I've ever even met an Olympian. But I'll tell you what, I have a lot of respect for Olympians because they train often at their own expense for years, day after day after day after day, putting themselves through the rigors of physical agony in many instances to be prepared to run one race to try to win a prize. The word literally means, if we were going to translate it into English, total commitment. Be totally committed, Jesus says, to enter through the narrow door. So Jesus immediately uses a word that says this isn't a haphazard thing. This isn't an easy thing. Um, This isn't something that lots of people are going to choose to do. Because he goes on to say, I tell you, many are going to seek to enter, but they're not going to be able. And there's two reasons for that that we see as we look at this text and we think about what uh, Matthew says about these gates. The first is this, that the narrow door is hard to find. Few there are who find it, Jesus says. It's hard to find. Now, that's in contradiction to the wide gate and the huge road. Jesus said, everybody can find that one. And we understand what Jesus told me. He's talking about the normal life lived on earth. It's lived on the wide road. Satan makes it easy to find that gate. He makes it easy to go through that gate. He makes it easy to walk on that road. He'll give you all kinds of enticements to draw you through and to convince you that you are on the right road. Lots of distractions because on the wide road is the promise of prestige and power and success and achievement and money and possessions, pleasure of every type you can imagine. It's easy to get on that road and it's easy to stay on that road, Jesus said. It says the narrow gate isn't like that. It's hard to find. We're going to see next week when we look at the parable of the treasures, man who finds treasure that um, there's some people looking for the gate, but most, they're not even looking for the gate. They're very content on the wide road that they've chosen to be on. Jesus said the narrow gate's hard to find, but guess what else? It's hard to follow. Jesus said in Matthew 7 that the way to life is a hard way. It's not the easy way. It is the way that requires a life of sacrifice. And you said there's not many people getting on that road. There's not many people looking for it, and there's not many people traveling on it. It's very different from the picture that we've kind of embraced in the American church over the last hundred years. It's what I call easy believism salvation. Salvation without cost is what it is. Just pray the prayer, pray the prayer, grow up being taught. It's just to get people to pray the prayer. Man, all you got to do is ask Jesus in your life. Does it require? No, no, no. Just ask Jesus in your life. Just, all you got to do is ask Jesus in your life and you'll be fine. And we have whole generations of people who lived in America now that just pray to prayer, right? With no expectation of the gospel or its demands. No talk about repentance, transformation, 
sacrifice. We just want people to pray the prayer and be saved, right? We just need to, we need to inflate our membership roles. We need to inflate our baptism numbers. We just got to, come on, just pray the prayer, pray the prayer, pray the prayer. And Jesus is not saying anything about praying a prayer, is he? <laughs> He's not apologizing either. You want to know how many people are going to be on the road? How many people are getting in the kingdom? Jesus says, you know what? Not many. What? He can't build his church like that. Jesus isn't about gimmicks, and he's not about telling people what they want to hear. Just tells them the truth. It's hard to find, and it's hard to walk on that road. It kind of reminds me of our trip to Montana this summer. We had a chance to go out and see some family. My dad's side of the family is from a place called Eureka, Montana, which is way up in the northwest corner, almost in Canada. And we got to go. While we were there, we went to a national park called Glacier National Park, which is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful place. And in the morning, we rode horses. We took a two-hour horseback ride. That's a great way to see a national park. We just kind of went through some cool places there. Um, now, you will pay for that if you don't ride horses very often. Okay, there's a cost to riding a horse. But while we were there, then we decided we want to we take a hike. We want to actually walk, too. I mean, we let the poor horse lug us around. Now we want to walk. So we, I was asking my cousin, where can we go to take a hike? She said that the best hike is from the north end of the lake, Lake McDonald, where you're going to be, get on that trail, you can see, you will see the best stuff there is to see in Glacier. I said, man, that is awesome. Where do we go? Okay, it's right here. She shows me where it is. Okay, great. I said, how long is it? She said, it's 13 miles. Whoa! I said, hold your horses. Speaking of horses, hold your horse 13 miles. Is that like 13 miles going or 13 miles coming coming back or is it like round trip she said well does it matter i said yeah it matters she said i think it's six and a half miles each way i said how much of it is uphill six and a half miles so i start counting the cost in my head guess what i didn't do that hike <laughs> no sir it, the way is hard on that hike i'm not ready to take that hike no Leave me down here where it's flat and it's easy to walk around and see the little trees and the water. They're going to be the same trees up there, I bet you. You've got to count the cost. Now, we do that there in that context all the time, don't we? It's, of course, yeah, hello. And Jesus says the same thing. You've got to count the cost. It's not easy to get on this road. And there's few people that choose to do it. Because the way is hard. It's not like the wide gate. It's not like the broad road. And what's the choice ultimately? The choice is this. If I'm going to go into the kingdom of God, I have to go in under the king's criteria. See, what we want to do, we want to set our own criteria. Why is Christianity so unpopular with it's there's only one way to heaven deal? Because people don't like to hear that truth. I'm on the wide road. I'll get there any way I want. Thank you very much. Okay, no, you won't. Jesus said, no, that's not how it works. There is a choice to be made before you go through that gate. And Jesus said, you've got to count the cost. The number one choice, my will versus God's will. See, too many people, they want Jesus to be their Savior. They just don't want him to be their Lord. And I want to tell you something. You can't be a kingdom resident with that mindset. It doesn't work like that. On the broad road, I get to do my own will. I get to go and do as I please, don't I? My whole life, on the narrow road, I have to choose to surrender to God's will. 
What, is, what change does that make? Well, then I have to make the choice about what the goals of my life are going to be. On the wide road, I can have whatever goals I want. I can pursue anything that I want to pursue. But on the narrow road, I have to let God's goals for my life be the goals for my life. I don't get to set all the goals. I don't get to have the plan all the time. That leads to a third thing. On the wide road, I get to do, prioritize my life any way I want, don't I? I go and do as I please. I do what I want to do when I want to do because I call the shots. I'm the Lord of my life, but not on the narrow road. On the narrow road, I have to submit to God's priorities for my life. He gets to say what's important for me, and I have to submit to that. On the wide road, I can sin as much as I want, as long as I want, as deep and broad as I want, without consequence to me, at least for now. On the narrow road, I have to, I have to put that to death in my life, and I have to learn to surrender to the holiness of God in my life. I have to battle my flesh every day on the narrow road. Not on the broad road. I can just do whatever I want there. And everything in my life is affected from how I use my time to how I spend my money on the narrow road. Not on the wide road. I can use my money any way I want. I've given that money to church. Keeping that money for myself. I worked hard for it. Not on the narrow road. On the narrow road, that money belongs to the Lord. And he makes a claim on it. How many of us would love to see the rich young ruler join our church? Man, if that guy got saved and he tied, think how great that would be for our church. Maybe we all wouldn't have to give so much. Is that what Jesus said to the rich young ruler? Rich young ruler said, man, I'm great. I keep the law. I love God. And he said, yeah, you know, you got this little problem. You're in love with your money more than God, so go give it away and then come follow me. You know what Jesus was saying? Here's the gate, and this is what it's going to cost you to walk through it. You know what the rich young ruler did? He went away sorrowful. Why? Because he had a lot of riches. He wasn't giving. I'm staying on the wide road. I'm not giving up. What? Give that up for the kingdom of God, for that hard road you're talking about that leads to death? I don't want to do that. Yet in our day and age, what are we saying? Man, it's easy to get saved. All you got to do is pray the prayer. Just ask Jesus in your heart. You'll be fine. Got all kind of lost people thinking they're going to heaven. When they're still out here on the wide road, just living any old way they please, the things of God mean absolutely nothing to them. But they pray the prayer. And Jesus said, you know the problem with that is? The gate, God gives you an opportunity to go through the gate, but it doesn't stay open forever for everyone. Today's the day of salvation, the Bible says. There's no guarantee if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, if you don't try, I'm not trying to scare you, I'm just telling you what Jesus said that the gate will be open tomorrow for you to go through. Because what does Jesus say next? When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer and say, I do not know where you come from. I don't know what kingdom you're from, but I'll tell you this, you're not from this kingdom. So you can't come through the gate. Well, I'll go through the gate tomorrow. I'll go through the gate when I'm older. I'll go through the gate when I'm on my deathbed. There's no guarantee you're going through the gate then. Because once God shuts a gate for you, it's shut. Now today, that offer is extended to you. If you're here and you don't know Christ, today God is extending you an opportunity to go through the gate and get on the narrow road, but not without cost. Jesus never chased anybody down. He's just honest with them. This is what it takes. If you want to be on board, you want to be a part of what God's kingdom is doing, it's awesome. Trust me, and the eternal payoff is fabulous. But if you want to do that, 
you've got to come the way I say that you should come. Immediately, as soon as Jesus says this, though, the arguments begin. Because <laughs> if anything, as fallen men, we are argumentative, are we not? So immediately, Jesus just lays out the deal, and someone <laughs> says, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. All this talk about the door being shut and not being able to be in the kingdom, notice what this guy says next. You'll begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence. You taught in our streets. Hold on a second, Jesus. Uh, we, we were in the town where you came to that time. Remember you came to our town and you taught? I, I heard you teach, kind of. I was, I was in the neighborhood. Remember that time you were eating those people's house? Well, I was eating in a house, you know, up the street from that house, but I was close to where you were eating. Hold on a second. I want to be in the kingdom. What were they struggling with? The fallacy of proximity. Now listen, this is the big problem in our country today, the fallacy of proximity. Here's the statement that I want you to remember from today. You see it on the top of your power line. Proximity to Jesus does not equal relationship with Jesus. Wait, we were close to you. We even heard you teach. We ate close to you. We, you were in our town. God says, I'm going to say, I don't, I don't know where you come from. I don't know you. Lyle and I went to England in 1999. We were doing uh, research for my dissertation, and Lyle went to help me. We spent most of two weeks in basements and... Um, libraries, just just finding research. We had one day for sightseeing. It was the day before we went home. So we were in London. Even that got shortened because somebody set off a bomb and downtown and everything got shut down. So we didn't get to do a lot of it. But we got to do a little. One of the places we went was Buckingham Palace. Have any of you ever had an opportunity to go to England and go to Buckingham Palace? Okay, a few, few of you around. You maybe have seen it online. You search it. Very impressive. Pretty nice place to live. Imagine I came back in 1999. I said, you are not going to believe it. You say, what? I say, I made friends with the queen when I was in England. The queen of England. Like, get out. No, I did. Tell me about it. Do you, what, what is she like? Well, I didn't actually meet the queen. I didn't meet her. I didn't meet her. But we're friends. I'm telling you, I was so close to the queen, you wouldn't believe it. You saw the queen? No. I, I didn't see the queen. But I was at the queen's house. Inside, no. I was out. They got a fence around it. But you can stand at the fence. You look at the house. And if the flag is up, she's in the house. The flag was up. I know the queen. Like, you don't know the queen? What are you talking about? Proximity doesn't equal relationship. And that's the point. Proximity does not equal relationship. There's people who say, we were close to Jesus. We even saw him. Tough. That is not what salvation is about. Now, we look at our country in which we live. 80% plus, 85 say they're Christians in America. Now, I know Christian probably means I'm not Muslim, I'm not Jewish, I'm not Hindu, I'm not some other world religion, so I must be Christian. You know, we kind of had a Christian... Uh, founding in many ways. 
So that, that must be me. I'm a Christian. But all I have to do is look at culture, and I know those people know nothing about what it means to be on the narrow road. Just look at the, the main issues that would be kind of tell the tale. Let's take the, the sanctity of human life, for instance. 50 million babies aborted just since I've been alive. 50 million. No telling how many, I've got a million a year plus we're probably at now. Now we don't have to quite abort them like we used to because now you can take a pill that aborts them if you've, you know, had a problem. Don't know telling what that number will look like. Now we want to kill old people because, you know, old people take a lot of resources and they take a lot of money and it'd just be easier on everybody if they just went away. And so that whole dialogue of assisted suicide and all that's happening now. People murdered by the scores every day. There's so much death in our country, it doesn't even move our meter anymore. Oh, well, another person got murdered. It wasn't me or someone I know, so it's all right. This culture of death in America, let me tell you something about that. There is nobody who's on the narrow road, having gone through the narrow gate and understanding what God says about life, who can embrace those positions and be on the narrow road. I'm just telling you. There's nothing in this book that says that that can be done. That's wide road stuff. How about our, our immense slide into immoral choices in our country? Just the, the collapse relationally of so many marriages and families. The whole now overwhelming flood of pro-homosexual uh, propaganda in our country. That this is an acceptable lifestyle choice. It may be different, but there's nothing wrong with that. It's just a different form of love and expression. How many young ladies are now having children out of wedlock? It's no big deal. It's just what, it's just what we do. We don't do because we don't get married anymore. We just have, if you want to have a baby, just have a baby. It's no big deal. It doesn't matter what the consequences are. It doesn't matter. Just, just want a baby, have a baby. Promiscuity at levels never seen in the history of the world. Not to mention just the way that lying and stealing and cheating and all of those kinds of things are just so rampant as to be the way we do life. But that's what the human heart looks like apart from God. But you cannot read your Bible and understand what Jesus says about the kingdom of God and say those understandings and those choices line up with somebody who has gone through the narrow gate and got on the narrow road. They don't. They're on the wide road. So what does that say? We have a lot of people who are trusting in proximity to Jesus to count for relationship with Jesus, and Jesus says that is an impossibility. Well, we were in your town. What does Jesus go on to say about that? Look what he continues to say. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves are cast out. And people will come from east and west, from north and south, and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. Still the arguments continue. Wait! Matthew 7. Oh, we did religious stuff. Don't we get credit for that? I mean, we went to church twice a year. Christmas and Easter, don't I get a little bit of credit for that? Who goes all the time? I went when it was convenient, kind of. Yeah, yeah, I gave money. Remember, I gave money to the church. I mean, I, I never tied the cores, but I, I threw $5 in the plate once in a while. Don't I get any credit for this? Remember that time I did something for the church? 
I think I gave blood. Remember that time I gave blood for the church? I served you. And on and on they go. Jesus said, here's how that conversation is going to end. I don't know you. You have to depart. You're not in the kingdom. You came in on the broad road. It leads to destruction. And you can spend eternity regretting the choices that you made. Because those who, who get in are those who come through the narrow gate. And they get on the narrow road because they made the choice to wholeheartedly follow after God. Now, can you imagine the, um, the surprise of this kind of demise? Can you imagine dying, being fully assured that you're going to wake up in heaven and then waking up in hell? Can you imagine how awful that would be? I, wait, I prayed the prayer. I mean, I, uh, I was as good as the next guy. Yeah, that's the problem. That's, that's wide road stuff. Jesus says, there's only one way to get into the kingdom. You've got to come the right way. You've got to come through the narrow gate that's hard to find, and you've got to choose to walk on that path that's hard to follow. There's cost involved in this. There's great blessing attached to it. There's great reward attached to it. But this is how you come. Now, I want to ask you a question as we close. We're getting ready to move into the kingdom. Starting next week, we're going to see some more of these uh, kind of general pictures of what the kingdom of God looks like and how do we function in it. But the starting point is to answer this question. What road are you on? Now, my presupposition is that many, hopefully all of you, are on the, the narrow road that leads to life. But I, but I can't know that for sure because I can't see in your heart. My greatest fear is this, having people who sit into my ministry for years and they, they believe they're on the narrow road when they're simply camped out near the gate. Now, I'm not about scaring people into heaven. I never have been about that. I'm not about trying to get you to doubt your salvation so we can have a bunch of people get rebaptized. That's not how we do a cornerstone. If you're here and you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and it is real and it is authentic, there are some evidences that would be in your life, including being able to remember that you made the choice to commit your life to Christ as your Lord, that you sense the conviction of sin in your life from the Holy Spirit when you choose to disobey God, and because of that you turn in repentance and you ask God's forgiveness, and you have a desire to bring glory to God in your life. And you know what? Your goals and your priorities, they do line up with kingdom goals and priorities. They don't reflect someone who's living their own life and just throwing God crumbs every once in a while when it's convenient. But if you're here and you don't know that you have a relationship with Jesus, I'll tell you, God is willing and able to save you. But you have to come to God on his terms. And that means to go through the gate and get on that road, you've got to give everything to God. And to tell you otherwise is just to sell you a bill of goods and give you a false hope that I don't want you to have. When we're done, I'm going to have a couple of staff guys up front. 
If you have questions about whether you've trusted Christ or, or you may be sitting here and go, ooh, and I'm on the wrong road, we'd love to talk with you about how you can know Jesus today, what that means so that you can make a choice about whether to, to begin to follow him or just or stay on the path where you are. But if you're here and you know Jesus, now here's my word for you. These next weeks when we go through the parables, God is going to challenge some things that we hold to, I'm afraid, that are false assumptions about what it means to follow Christ. And we have a choice to make. Jesus always said this, let he who has ears to hear, hear. Which means we're really good at deceiving ourselves. My prayer for us, we're here as followers of Jesus today, is this. God, I want ears to hear. Because I'm serious about being on this road. I want to strive with everything that I have fulfill the purpose for which you saved me and called me to be on that road. And my heart's open for you to do whatever that means. Let's believe that together. Father, thank you for our time today in the Word. God, this, this text we've looked at today is powerful. But Lord, it is, it is poignant as well. I'm afraid there are a lot of people camped out by the gate looking through the fence seeing the kingdom and thinking they know you because of that. Well, they don't know you any more than I know the queen. Some religious activity on occasion, no life change and transformation. God, I pray if there's anyone here like that today, that through your spirit you would draw them to faith. May they count the cost and realize it's worth everything to know you. That God, today would be the day of their salvation. When by faith the conscious choice of their will, they commit to become a follower of Jesus. I pray that for them. But I pray for all of us who are here today who've already made that decision. That Lord, as we begin to work through this study on the parables, that you would really do a profound work of transformation when it comes to our will and our goals and our priorities. That the things that matter to you would really matter to us. That's our prayer for us. And we believe that you can answer it. Father, thank you that we can be worshipers today through our giving. We come with grateful hearts for your kind provision in our life, bringing your tithe back to you, laying up treasure in heaven as we invest in the kingdom. God bless your kids as we give today, I pray in Jesus' name.